And good afternoon. This is Midday here on WIPR. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for staying with us during our live special coverage of the president's remarks from the White House. Uh, the other big news on Capitol Hill today, of course, Kevin McCarthy continuing his quest to become Speaker of the House for a third day after losing six votes over two days and making yet more concessions to extremists in his party last night. He told reporters this morning that he is, quote, making progress. The House is reconvening at this hour. I'm Tom Hall. Tomorrow marks the second anniversary of the attack on the U.S. Capitol. January 6th, like September 11th or December 7th, are dates that are emblazoned in the American psyche as pivotal moments in our nation's history. The attack on the Capitol shook the very foundations of American democracy. A bipartisan special committee investigating the attack has published an extensive and damning report that lays the blame for the insurrection squarely at the feet of Donald Trump. If Republicans work out their internecine fighting over the speakership, they have promised investigations in the new Congress that target Joe Biden and his administration. Scholars, historians, and journalists are sorting out the actors and their motivations behind the violence on January 6, 2021. Today on Midday, a conversation with two scholars who study the influence of Christian nationalists on the events of that day and how they fit into the panoply of groups that organized and executed the attack. Matthew Taylor is the Protestant scholar at the Institute for Islamic, Christian, and Jewish Studies here in Baltimore. He focuses on Muslim-Christian dialogue, evangelical and Pentecostal movements, religious politics, and American Islam. And he joins me here in Studio A. Matt, good to see you. Happy New Year. Great to see you, Tom. And Dr. Bradley Onishi is a religion scholar on the faculty of the University of San Francisco and the host of a podcast called Straight White American Jesus. His new book is called Preparing for War, The Extremist History of White Christian Nationalism and What Comes Next. And he joins us on Zoom from San Francisco. Brad Onishi, welcome. No, thanks for having me. Good to be here. And listeners, you are welcome to join us as well. 410-662-8780, our email midday at wypr.org. You can tweet us at midday wypr. So, Brad, let me start with you. Um, Christian nationalism uh, didn't, you know, uh, start overnight during the Trump administration by any means. Um, Give us a a sort of, you know, 30,000-foot view of uh, the history of this movement. Well, we could really start... Uh, as far back as we'd like. We could go back all the way to the founding of the country and before, but uh, I like to start in the 1960s because in the 1960s we have uh, a a series of movements that really extend rights and representation to Americans that had been historically marginalized, the the civil rights movement. Uh, We have sweeping immigration reform. We have uh, women's rights movements, uh, queer liberation movements, uh, the 1967 uh, loving decision that uh, made interracial marriage uh, protected federally. I could go on and on. Well, during this time, there were a set of uh, white Christians, uh, those who I would call white Christian nationalists, who really didn't see this as uh, a move towards greater freedom and equality, but as them losing their country. And uh, one uh, instance I like to point to that sums this up is Barry Goldwater accepting the GOP nomination in 1964 and signaling to the Republican Party that extremism and the defense of liberty is, is not a vice, that in fact it is something like a virtue. Well, extremism as a virtue is really a through line that I think we can see running from uh, that 1964 election all the way to January 6th. And so, no, it did not start, uh, 
yesterday did not start with Donald Trump or uh, even in recent memory. However, it has accelerated to the point that we've gone from a mantra uh, at, a, at a, a, a presidential convention to uh, an attempted insurrection two years ago. And Matthew Taylor, you study something called the New Apostolic Reformation. This is a subgroup of Christian nationalism. How would you describe it? Yeah, I would say it's on the furthest end of the spectrum of Christian nationalism, what I would even call Christian supremacy. So it's on, there's a continuum of Christian nationalists, everything from people who like to sing God Bless America to people who might inspire the storming of the Capitol. And the NAR was integral to that storming of the Capitol. More on the religious side of inspiring the types of people who showed up in the surrounding crowds and stoking those religious sentiments, the Christian sentiments, the theological ideas that fueled the, the insurrection. And Brad Onishi, um, uh, you are a former uh, evangelical uh, minister, as I understand it. G give us a little bit of insight into your background and, um, and how you bring that background uh, to inform the work that you're doing studying these groups. Yeah, I converted at 14 and kind of went from a smart mouth kid to somebody who was uh, a pretty extreme zealot for, uh, for his faith and for his church. Uh, by the time I was 20, I uh, was a full-time minister. I was married to my high school sweetheart and on my way to seminary. And so uh, I wasn't just a believer. I was, I was a leader, and I was somebody whose life was, was saturated by this movement. Uh, you know, one of the things I like to, to explain to people is that uh, these uh, political manifestations are terrifying. And it can be hard to understand why somebody would want to be part of a group like this. Um, but for me, it, it was really a matter of uh, being accepted into a community that also provided uh, really uh, easy and clear answers to life's most fundamental questions. Questions about why are we here and what happens after we die and what's the meaning of life. Now, none of that is a, uh, a kind of justification for uh, the kinds of extremism that we've seen develop in our country from these religious communities. But my hope is that it helps those who are not part of them at least understand why someone would uh, get involved in them and continue to devote themselves to them, even when they uh, seemingly go off the rails. And your podcast, Straight White American Jesus, give us an idea of the scope of what you're covering, because you and Matt Taylor uh, have a, a series sort of within that uh, rubric of Straight White American Jesus called the Charismatic Revival Fury, uh, in which Matt uh, lays out uh, information about this new apostolic reformation. But uh, overall, what is what is the Straight White American Jesus podcast concerned with? Yeah, we, we don't actually think that Jesus was a straight white American, so I'll just I'll just say that to start. In fact, what we're trying to do That's is provide, encouraging, Brent. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is some confusion sometimes. But what we do try to provide is a, a both a, a former insider and scholarly analysis of the religious right, of Christian nationalism, and the kinds of movements like the New Apostolic Reformation uh, that some people may have heard of, but certainly don't have a deep understanding of. And so, and we seem to have lost Brad there for a second. We'll regain him shortly, I'm sure. So, Matt Taylor, um, when it comes to the the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation, you mentioned that it's very far to the to the rightest of the right uh, in terms of this, uh, you know, large panoply of Christian nationalists. Tell us a little bit about Peter Wagner, the mm -hmm. uh, the person who, who coined the phrase and started the, the movement, um, and uh, the kind of work that they were doing, uh, and eventually how it led to involvement in the January 6th attack. 
So C. Peter Wagner, but everyone called him Peter, um, he was a professor at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, California. I actually went to Fuller Seminary, though I didn't overlap with him at all. I kind of caught the edges of his influence there. Um, and he was there for about 30 years. He was an expert in church growth, had a PhD from the University of Southern California. And over time, he became fixated with this independent charismatic world. So this is the non-denominational edge of Pentecostalism. And he thought that that was the future of the global church. And in the 1990s, he coined this term, New Apostolic Reformation, for what he believed was the future of the church, which would be led by modern day apostles and prophets, just like the early church was in his view. And so he came to understand himself as one of these apostles, as somebody who was gifted by God with this supernatural insight. And he surrounded himself by with this cadre of very ambitious, very entrepreneurial, very intelligent, young charismatic leaders who kind of adopted the frameworks that, that Wagner had. And over time, this group has become very influential in the charismatic world. They become celebrities in charismatic media, and they have they govern massive networks of churches around the globe, thousands of churches that belong to these apostolic networks. Um, and his inner circle, uh, the, the groups that of people that were especially close to him were very instrumental in creating what we call Christian Trumpism, this kind of Christian theological support for Donald Trump. And then they became very influential in the season after the 2020 election and stoking these sentiments and these theological ideas that fueled the Capitol riot. And Brad Onishi, how would you assess the relationship between the folks that Matt is talking about, the new apostolic reformers with groups that were perhaps more familiar with because they've been in the news, the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, uh, the people who've been indicted for, you know, the serious charges like seditious conspiracy against the United States. I mean, Jason Rhodes, uh, who leads one of these groups, you know, uh, describes himself as a devout Christian, etc. Uh, what is what is the intersection between uh, all of these different groups? And we're still having trouble uh, finding Brad Anishi, and we will uh, come back to him. But, Matt, let me ask you that question. I mean, is there a, a direct relationship, uh, and was there coordination uh, in the January 6th attack between Oath Keepers, Proud Boys, New Apostolic Re- Reformation Movement, etc.? So I've been immersing myself in the Capitol riot for two years, which has not been a very pleasant headspace. But the I would say there was not coordination with these different groups. You saw a lot of groups converge on the Capitol that day, right? Donald Trump sends out the tweet, be there, will be wild. He's inviting all these groups. And so you had a variety of different types of Trump supporters that all kind of came to D.C. for the event. The New Apostolic Reformation were instrumental in guiding Christians into that and inspiring them to be there, and especially these independent charismatic types of Christians. So they were all over charismatic media, pushing people saying, if you're loyal to Trump, if you believe the, the, the lie, they wouldn't call it that, but if you believe that he was really elected in 2020, we need to be there. We need to support him. And so a lot of the Christians who were in the crowd and a lot of the manifestations of Christianity that we saw in the crowd that day were inspired by these NAR leaders. And Brad Anishi, uh, when it comes to Christianity, you know, Matt's laid out, uh, you know, the, the makeup of certainly the new apostolic reformation movement, but in general, the white nationalist movement, what we, what we refer to as white nationalism, uh, is it an ecumenical 
movement? Uh, is it is it racially uh, mixed? Is it is it uh, Protestant, Catholic, uh, Jewish? I mean, who who's part of the uh, who who makes up this this larger um, uh, group of of uh, people committed to so-called white nationalism? And I apologize. We uh, keep having a tough time finding uh, Brad Anisha. You should mention that he is in San Francisco. They're having power problems in San Francisco because of the flooding that's going on. So, uh, Matt, let me let me narrow that question for you a little bit. When it comes to um, the Christian denominations that are involved in this, are these people who have eschewed, you know, Presbyterianism, Methodism, Catholicism, uh, Baptism, you know, Baptist, etc., uh, or and, and they're all part of this evangelical Pentecostal uh, movement. Is it that wing of the of the Christian uh, pie? You know, when it gets when it gets divvied up, who, who's uh, who's coming over to new apostolic reformation as a movement? So Christian nationalism is a broad spectrum term, right? And depending on how you count the numbers, how you ask the questions, as many as 45, 50% of Americans might qualify as some sort of Christian nationalist in terms of they think that the U.S. should be a Christian nation, right? And so that you, you get all kinds of denominations, all kinds of, you get evangelicals, mainline Protestants, Catholics, Mormons, everyone is kind of has a piece in that, that puzzle. Um, the New Apostolic Reformation is a particular element within evangelicalism. So in the 1970s and 1980s, you started to have this emergence of a non-denominational charismatic movement emerging out of Pentecostalism. But Pentecostalism is a denominational movement like most forms of Protestantism. So this is mega churches and independent ministries that don't follow denominational governance. And the New Apostolic Reformation is offering a different model of governance through these charismatic apostles and prophets. So it's a, it's a particular type of Christian nationalist and most Christian nationalists are white, but the New Apostolic Reformation is a fairly ethnically diverse movement. In fact, most of the independent charismatic world is pretty ethnically diverse because it also has a lot of ties to other countries and other parts of the world. There's this charismatic spirituality is spreading all over the globe. It's one of the fastest growing religious movements in world history. And in the podcast that you did with Brad Anishi, uh, you broke some news about the relationship between folks involved in the New Apostolic Reformation Movement and the Trump administration. Tell us uh, what you discovered. Yeah, the, the final episode of our series aired uh, this past Monday on January 2nd. And um, what we reported there is the one of the most important NAR leaders, maybe the most important Christian leader for mobilizing Christians to be there on January 6th was a man named Dutch Sheets, who was a disciple of Peter Wagner's. And Dutch Sheets, um, he has his own podcast. He has his own kind of media empire that he's running and inspiring these things. In the season after the election, Dutch Sheets created this uh, prophecy tour where they went to all the swing states and had these live stream YouTube prophecy sessions that became incredibly violent in their rhetoric. What we revealed in the podcast is he actually talks about being inspired by people in the government who told him that they, he should go and do this swing state prophecy tour and gin up Christian support for Donald Trump in these swing states in that season after the election. And on December 29th, eight days before the Capitol riot, he and his team of prophets had a two-hour meeting in the White House that has never been reported on before, where they talk about issuing prophetic decrees to White House staff and leaders in the government, and they talk about talking strategy and receiving strategy from within the White House 
in their mobilization that ultimately leads to January 6th. Now, you report that this meeting actually took place in the old executive office building, which is yep. adjacent to the White House. Um, do we know who in the Trump administration met with these people? We don't. In fact, I, the, the White House visitor logs for the Trump administration have all been sealed. So we, I put in a FOIA request to try to dislodge some more information about this. And uh, it was I was told by the Trump, uh, in the Trump presidential library that those records will not be available until 2026. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and have more with Dr. Matthew Taylor. He is the Protestant scholar at the ICJS, the Institute for Islamic, Christian, and Jewish Studies. They're based here in Baltimore. Dr. Bradley Anishi is a religion scholar at the University of San Francisco and the author of Preparing for War, the Extremist History of White Christian Nationalism and What Comes Next. He's also the host of the religion podcast, Straight White American Jesus. We'll have more on the Christian nationalist movement and its impact on American culture and politics. And you are welcome to join us when we come back. 410-662-8780, our email midday at WIPR.org. You can tweet us at midday. WIPR. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us. This is 88.1 WIPR. And welcome back. It's Midday. I'm Tom Hall. By the way, coming up tomorrow, it's Midday at the Movies. Anne Hornaday, our good friend and film critic for The Washington Post, will join me to talk about the latest news from Movieland. Awards season has begun. The Golden Globes are next Tuesday. The Oscars are in just a couple of months. So we'll get Anne's take on what we should be checking out in theaters and online. Plus, our theater critic, Jay Wynn Russick, reviews the Shakespeare classic The Tempest at the Roundhouse Theater. So that's on the way tomorrow. If you've just joined us today, we're talking about the rise of Christian nationalist movements, its involvement in the attack on the Capitol two years ago and its influence among other white nationalist groups like the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. Matthew Taylor is a scholar in the, at the Institute for Islamic, Christian, and Jewish Studies, along with Bradley Onishi. He's the host of an audio documentary series called Charismatic Revival Fury, The New Apostolic Reformation, which is part of the Straight White American Jesus podcast. Bradley Onishi is the creator and host of that podcast and the author of a new book, Preparing for War, The Extremist History of White Christian Nationalism and What Comes Next. Matt Taylor will host Brad Onishi in an online forum tomorrow at noon called White Christian Nationalism and the Capitol Riot. How did we get here? And what comes next? They are with me until the top of the hour today, and you are welcome to join us as well. 410-662-8780, our email midday at WIPR.org, to tweet us, it's at midday WIPR. So, Brad, I think we have you on the telephone. Uh, can you hear me? I can. There yeah. you go. Well, we'll, we will forsake Zoom for the moment and uh, do it the old-fashioned way. So, sorry for our technical problems uh, a little earlier. Um, I'm interested in the the rhetoric of the folks that you and Matt report on in your podcast um, from the New Apostolic Reformation. Um, they talk about waging spiritual warfare, uh, praying for strategic intercession. Uh, at one point, one of the leaders says, you know, prepare to pray hard uh, and get your swords bloody. Um, there is a very militaristic 
tenor to uh, the kinds of uh, the kinds of rhetoric that they're, that they're employing. Um, and is is this you know uh, something that that also goes way back? I mean, you, you talked about this movement, you know, from the '60s and stuff. Is this something that's been consistent throughout the the whole history of this movement, or is this is this a new development? I think, in some sense, spiritual warfare has been uh, part of uh, you know Christian theology uh, for thousands of years. It certainly does. Uh, manifest itself uh, in an American history in the 20th century. There are discussions of spiritual warfare. However, um, I think what the series uh, that I did with Matt on the New Apostolic Reformation really shows is that over the last 20 years, we've seen just an, an acceleration of this kind of rhetoric, not only in quantity, but in terms of its uh, quality. And so my position on this is that as the country has changed, as we have seen the first black president, as we have seen the uh, the uh, legalization of same-sex marriage, and so on and so on and so on, what has happened to the spiritual warfare rhetoric is it has gone from praying for uh, healing or good tidings or uh, uh, good things to happen to Christian people and Christian communities to really, as you say, a militaristic rhetoric that talks about domination and conquering and having dominion over the economic and political and cultural realms in the United States. Uh, it really seems to be the battle cries of a, of a group that feels as if it is threatened, feels as if it is being uh, uh, replaced, and is turning to honestly shocking uh, types of discourse in order to mobilize uh, its members. And Matt Taylor, um, one of the points that you make in the podcast is that the um uh, the call to arms, if you will, or the call to action on January 6th didn't just happen on the ellipse that morning. Uh, there was a big rally. Uh, there were a couple of big rallies that took place in D.C. prior to that. And the the place of Donald Trump in the presidency was a matter of prophecy. So uh, th- this movement... Uh, uh, is very much concerned with dreams that they are given, and these dreams are, are uh, dreams that they have, and that uh, these are seen as you know prophetic and informative, and they they act on them. Um, the 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 New Apostolic Reformation movement prophesied that Donald Trump would be the next president, not Joe Biden. Um, but the pro- how does that how does that how does that get reckoned with, given that that prophecy didn't come true? But when Biden was declared the president, uh, how did they handle that? Um, what was the what was the reaction? Yeah, and I, I would just want to add that um, in the series, we really um, try to bring in the voices of these leaders that we're using. So about a third of the series is actually their voices themselves. Because sometimes when you hear somebody reading at one of these violent quotes, it's, it almost sounds unbelievable. And we really wanted to give people a sense of where this rhetoric comes from and what it looks like in, in real life. Um, in terms of prophecy, so the, the New Apostolic Reformation, like many charismatics, believe in modern-day prophecy, that God speaks to modern-day prophets just as God spoke to the prophets in the Bible. And um, so many of these leaders understand themselves to be prophets, that they hear and speak the voice of God directly. And in the 2016 election, there was a handful of prophets who prophesied that Trump would win against all expectations. And in the 2020 election, in the lead up to it, there were actually hundreds of these charismatic prophets, all in chorus saying Donald Trump is going to be reelected. And, but 
when you think about prophecy, for these folks, prophecy is not self-fulfilling. And sometimes because of this spiritual warfare idea, because there's this idea of demons and demonic principalities and powers that are pushing against the will of God, and they would even say some secular forces that are pushing against the will of God, they believe that spiritual warfare has to be done in order to enact the will of God. And so as you had the the election declared for Joe Biden, and then President Trump said that he was not going to leave office and that he thought that it was a fraud, all these prophets all gathered around that same narrative and said, now we need to do spiritual warfare. We need to mobilize all of our prayer forces in order to change this election. Let's listen to an example of the kind of rhetoric you're talking about. This is a pastor named Che An. This was at a rally that took place on January 5th. So this is the day before the insurrection. It was called the Rally for Revival. It was a long affair, some eight hours long. Uh, people from all over the country. This was a sample of what uh, the folks who attended that rally heard. The consequences are severe if Biden and Harris becomes president. And so we are here to change history. I believe we're gonna shift this nation, this election that's been stolen from Donald Trump and from the United States of America. This is why it's so important that we gather tomorrow and pray and show up and just take a stand to show the world that this is the most egregious fraud that's happened, it's scandalous, that's happened in U.S. history. And we are saying we're not going to take it. We're going to take a stand until justice prevails because the foundation of God's throne is justice and righteousness. And we're going to say yes to justice this week. And we're going to see President Trump be our president for the next four years. In perpetuity, we're going to be, I believe, a red... Red Nation. Can I hear an amen on that? In perpetuity. In perpetuity. And Brad Anishi, uh, one of the theological underpinnings uh, of the new apostolic Reformation movement uh, is what they call uh, ecclesia theology, uh, which is, I think, a mispronunciation a mispronunciation of the word ecclesia, which means church in Latin. But talk about what that theology states. What is the relationship between the church and the state according to this theology? This is, I think, where we can really see a shift in, uh, again, how the, the rhetoric and, and the theological discourse has uh, accelerated over the last couple decades. Uh, as you say, the word ecclesia or ecclesia really historically has referred to the Church, and, and etymologically it, it really is a translation of a word uh, that means Church. Well, over the last 15 or 20 years, uh, the New Apostolic Reformation movement has begun to employ this word in order to connote not just the Church, but a sense of jurisdiction or a sense of proprietorship over every domain of, of human society, and that includes government. And so when someone like Sean Foyt or another leader or another influential person in the New Apostolic Reformation uses this word, they're often talking about how uh, it is the mission and it is the, it is the, uh, the job of Christian people to not just be in charge of the church, but to be uh, to have dominion over uh, the government, and to in essence be in control. Uh, and so the goal is not simply to uh, develop a healthy church. The goal is to develop and wield power over every aspect of American society. And so this word ecclesia has really expanded from a church-based idea to uh, one that uh, expresses uh, a desire for domination over over every aspect of American society.
And it's worth remembering that right here in Maryland, the Republican candidate for attorney general here in uh, Maryland, a guy named uh, Michael Perutka, uh, is a self-described Christian nationalist. And here's a guy running to be the top legal officer in the state of Maryland, saying that as a Christian nationalist, the law of God supersedes any laws that the Maryland legislature or the city council or county council of any jurisdiction might uh, invent. Uh, Of course, uh, it's up for grabs as to who decides what the law of God is when it comes to, you know, this issue (laughs) or that. So um, this is not a movement that is, uh, you know, completely confined to the extremes, to the margins. I mean, here's the Republican candidate for attorney general in the state of Maryland. We're going to take another break and we'll come back and have more with Dr. Bradley Anishi. He is the host of the Straight White American Jesus podcast and the author of Preparing for War, The Extremist History of White Christian Nationalism and What Comes Next. Dr. Matthew Taylor and Bradley Onishi are the co-hosts of an audio documentary series that examines the role of Christian nationalists in the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol. It's called Charismatic Revival Fury, The New Apostolic Reformation. You can find it on the Straight White American Jesus podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Quick break. When we come back, you are welcome to join us at 410-662-8780. Our email, midday at WIPR.org. Our Twitter handle is at Midday WIPR. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us. This is your public radio, 88.1. WYPR. This country is awake. Tomorrow, tomorrow, trust me, the American people that are standing on the soil that we are standing on tonight, and they're going to be standing on this soil tomorrow, this is soil that we have fought over, fought for, and we will fight for in the future. The members, the members of Congress, the members of the House of Representatives, the members of the, of the United States Senate, those of, the, those of you who are feeling weak tonight. Those of you that don't have the moral fiber in your body, get some tonight because tomorrow we the people are going to be here and we want you to know that we will not stand for a lie. We will not stand for a lie. Retired General Michael Flynn addressing the rally for revival in Washington, D.C. the day before the attack on the U.S. Capitol two years ago. That attack has led to the arrest of 950 people from all 50 states and the District of Columbia who have been charged with a variety of crimes ranging from seditious conspiracy and assault to various misdemeanors. More than half have pleaded guilty. Welcome back to Midday. I'm Tom Hall. If you've just joined us, my guests are Dr. Matthew Taylor of the Institute for Islamic, Christian, and Jewish Studies and Dr. Bradley Onishi, a religion scholar at the University of San Francisco. We're talking about the role that Christian nationalists played in the attack on the Capitol, in particular a movement called the New Apostolic Reformation. 410-662-8780. Our email midday at wipr.org to send us a tweet. It's at midday. WIPR. And Matt, you, you make the point with Brad in the podcast series that uh, we think of, uh, you know, the, the incitement to, to go to the Capitol as happening by Mr. Trump himself and uh, Giuliani and some others that morning. We think about um, the role that Fox News or, or Newsmax plays. But you're saying that there's a whole uh, 
sector of charismatic media that was incredibly uh, important in uh, ginning up support and enthusiasm for uh, an action at the Capitol on the 6th of January. Yeah, there are televangelism channels that cater specifically to charismatic Christians, most of the televangelism channels, in fact. There's Charisma News and Charisma Media. There's podcasts. There's TV shows. It is, it's an entire media sphere that most of us never touch, but through which a lot of people get all their news. And this charismatic media became one of the foremost Trump-supporting elements of American culture in the course of the 2016 campaign, the Trump presidency, and the aftermath of the 2020 Let's go to the phones. We have Paul on the line from Bel Air. Paul, welcome to Midday with Brad Anishi and Matt Taylor. Well, thank you so much for taking my call, and Happy New Year to everyone. Hopefully, this coming year will be better than the ones in the past. Uh, my uh, uh, um, input into the discussion is that the wellspring that these nation, uh, Christian nationalists get their energy from is through racism. They are anti-black, and they quote the Bible constantly saying that, you know, God marked this one, God marked that one, this one here has a, a curse from God, and they're subservient to the white people. And, you know, I, some of these people are in my family, and I tell them, you are not so white yourself. But the problem is they are so drunk with this water from this spring that they cannot see beyond their uh, uh, nonsense that they spill out. And they, that's why they aggregated and gravitated to Trump. When Trump descended down from those escalators from heaven, the first thing out of his mouth was anti-Mexican. He didn't say, okay, I'm going to you know, try to bring peace or happiness. It was all nonsense, but I'm going to make sure that you guys don't have to deal with these non-white people. Yeah, Thank you so good. much for taking my call. I appreciate it. All right, thank you for that comment, Paul. And uh, Brad Anishi, um, there's a flag that was uh, uh, quite in evidence during the attack on the Capitol on, the Jan- on January 6th, um, and it's called an appeal to heaven. This, 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 this logo, this, this brand, an appeal to heaven. Uh, tell us about the importance of that. Sure. This, uh, the appeal to heaven flag goes back to the American founding, and, uh, you know, for many people, it really represented this appeal to heaven rather than appeal to a king, an earthly king or a monarchy or, or royalty and so on. However, uh, in, in the last 10 years, it's been revived with a different purpose. And, uh, you know, Matt Taylor in our series really shows this just extensively, how uh, Dutch Sheets, a prominent uh, leader in the New Apostolic Reformation, has used this flag as a galvanizing symbol to say that uh, the appeal to heaven means that our uh, rights, our laws, and uh, uh, any authority for governance comes from God and from heaven, and, and not really from earthly authorities. Well, this is in many ways an anti-democratic kind of move, because it really subverts the idea that we have the will of the people on earth who vote and who work together in a democratic society where there is disagreement, but ultimately peace. Instead, it says that all authority comes from God, and therefore those who should be in charge uh, in our political realms and other places uh, are those who are chosen by God and who serve in His name. Uh, One can see how it's a a short step from that kind of approach with the appeal to heaven symbol to an anti-democratic 
uh, movement that really uh, is willing to martyr democracy in order to save the nation that they want. And Matt Taylor, uh, one of the things that uh, Dutch Sheets says, you have a tape of him saying that God isn't into politics, but he's into government. So there's Dutch Sheets, who's a leader in this new apostolic reformation movement, trying to walk that fine line, you know, saying, well, it's, it's not all about politics, but it is about governing. And Dutch Sheets is, he, he's the one who kind of creates, he, he doesn't create the appeal to heaven flag, that goes back to colonial America, but he takes it in 2013 and turns it into a symbol for this Christian nationalist revival. And he's also the one, one of the drivers of this ecclesia theology, which he, his understanding of the term ecclesia is the church is supposed to be the real government in the world. And so in his mind, God has ordained the church leaders and specifically these apostles and prophets to lead and guide civil government. And part of what he's doing, even in this prophecy tour that he leads after the 2020 election and in this White House meeting in his own articulation is he's trying to blend spiritual and civil government and be, have an influence over the government. Uh, the prophecy tour, uh, they called it a swing state prayer tour. Let's listen to a clip uh, of that. This began in November, right after the election. So this is between the election and the certification of the election on the 6th of January. Even out of Pennsylvania, there is rising up a militia that is connecting to the, the battlefield states that will uncover, even beginning this night, the fraud, the corruption, the infiltration of evil from Pennsylvania to Georgia, from Georgia to Nevada, from Nevada to Arizona, from Arizona to New Mexico, New Mexico to Wisconsin, Brad Onishi, um, they they took this uh, tour to apostolic churches around the country, uh, and they're very strategically. I mean, this woman mentions that very, you know, that list of states, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Arizona, Nevada. Um, they are strategically uh, pretty sophisticated. That's right. And I, I think that's a, a point that should really be emphasized, that it's really easy to think of uh, a movement like this on the fringe and as something that is... Uh, you know, in some circles considered laughable. It's really quite the opposite. Uh, it's a highly organized, highly strategic uh, movement that has very uh, charismatic, uh, not, to, not to use a pun, but very charismatic and very skilled uh, leaders at the helm. And so, uh, of course, they targeted swing states. Of course, they knew which state capitals to go to. Of course, they knew which voters and demographics uh, they needed to, uh, to uh, swing the election in the way they wanted. I think this point is really, really key, that this is not uh, a mo an organized, unorganized fringe movement that one uh, should laugh at. This is a highly sophisticated movement that uh, is having a, a very defining role uh, in our public square at the moment. 
And we should mention that General Flynn, Michael Flynn, uh, and his Team America are appearing at a huge rally that they're advertising as we speak uh, that's going to take place in a couple of weeks uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. So this is by no means uh, over. Uh, Dr. Bradley Onishi, your new book is called Preparing for War, the Extremist History of White Christian Nationalism and What Comes Next. You're going to be discussing it tomorrow at noon in an online forum hosted by Matt Taylor and sponsored by the Institute for Islamic Christian and Jewish Studies. Brad Onishi, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. And Dr. Matthew Taylor, uh, along with Brad Onishi, they are co-hosts of the audio documentary series Charismatic Revival Fury, the new apostolic reformation. You can find it on the Straight White American Jesus podcast. Matt Taylor, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. That's it for us today. And coming up tomorrow, it's midday at the movies. Ann Hornaday of the Washington Post will join me to talk about what we should check out online and in theaters. And theater critic Jay Wynn Russick will review The Tempest, which is at the Roundhouse Theater in Bethesda. So that's on the way tomorrow. And coming up now, it's here and now, after news at the top of the hour. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Have a great day. This is your public radio, 88.1 WYPR.